This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to Blood Red, the Liverpool Echo podcast. I am Keith McDonald and I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest, former Liverpool striker Nathan Eccleston. Nathan spent seven years at the Reds between 2005 and 2012, having joined as a fresh-faced teenager from Bury and departed after a wealth of life experience. Nathan talks to us in depth about his transition from the club's academy into the first team, the experience of training with Fernando Torres, Steven Gerrard and Luis Suarez. He also goes into detail about the night against Northampton Town under Roy Hodgson before touching on his experience of taking part in the infamous Being Liverpool documentary. He also gives us insight into what his life now looks like now he's finished his playing career. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, Nathan, you spent six years at Liverpool. Obviously, I just want to take it back to the start and kind of, you know, you're you're, you're 15, 16 year old, um, you're playing at Bury in the youth team and and you get the call that Liverpool are interested in you. I, how how is that as a as a as a young you know footballer trying to make your moves in the game? How how do you react to the news that a team as big as Liverpool are interested in you? Um, as you can imagine, uh, being a fifteen year old lad from Manchester, um, and Liverpool are the ones that are calling you. Um, it comes as a bit of a surprise um, initially, um, and then yeah, over like the overwhelming feeling of like Liverpool are interested in. Um, taking a look at me and wanting me to come down and trial um I literally just started crying <laughs> um definitely um complete transparency I just started crying because um I knew what a great opportunity it could be f- for a lad like myself to to go in and present my skills to to a club like Liverpool so yeah I was just I was just buzzing I actually remember I come home from school um and my dad called my mom initially but um I wasn't home at the time, and then he called me back just to say that um, one of the uh, scouts at Berry had contacted him, saying that Liverpool were interested in um, taking a look at me, and I just started crying. So yeah, I was buzzing. And obviously, you touch on your your lad from Manchester. I take it Liverpool weren't your your chosen team to support. Were you a United fan growing up then? And um, when I was when I was a kid, yeah, because um, I'm from North Manchester, and the area that I'm actually from is Newton Heath. And United's um, history, they used to be called Newton Heath um, United. That's where the name actually stems from. So, yeah, all of my family was United supporters. Um, but obviously, because I was a f- I used to play football, I was just a footballing fan anyway. Um, so teams such as Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, they all it was all teams that I, I followed anyway. Um, my allegiance at the time was obviously with with United because my parents supported those, um, but was always fans of of Liverpool. And I think that year, that's that summer actually, did just won the Champions League. And whether you was a diehard Man United fan or not, seeing what Liverpool did in the Champions League in Istanbul, any supporter in the, in the world of football was a Liverpool fan because it was so historic and. Um, and yeah, that was pretty much how it went. And obviously, you talk on obviously that you 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 started kind of your playing days at Berry. How did that go then? Obviously, to, to earn the move to Liverpool, obviously you've got to be you know pulling up serious trees in you know the youth team standing out. Is you know was it a smooth kind of transition through the age groups where you always kind of you know the the standout player, you know the top goal scorer, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think from the ages of eight, even playing locally for my local team, I was always playing like a year or a couple of years above. I mean, at the time, I was pretty small, um, skillful, and quick. 
so I was always on scoring the goals and then at Berry was pretty much the same thing. Um, when I was at Berry, I was, I was always playing a year above myself and, and I was always like top goal scorer and obviously being at a centre of excellence, playing the likes of Oldham and Rochdale and teams like that, I was always pretty prolific in like at that level, I'd guess. And um, I think it attracted like interest from from quite a lot of teams that come and kind of take plays from centre of excellence that are like exceeding their expectation on that that particular level. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I guess, playing at that level put me in good stead for other teams such as Liverpool and teams like that. And so obviously you make the move to Liverpool and, and you work your way, you know, through the ranks, the 18s, the 23s and, you know, about 2009, you kind of get your first kind of looking at the first team. Um, I was doing a, you know, looking kind of through the archives earlier and there's a there's a great photo of you. I think it's the start of the 2009 season. You've got the the Carlsberg shirt on. It's it's probably three sizes too big. Um, you're, you're, <laughs> the start of the season photo. How was that then as, as a young kind of guy going into the dressing room? You've got the likes of, you know, Torres, Gerard, you know, Alonso, you probably would have crossed paths with him. You know, was it was it an intimidating thing or was it, you know, were they kind of welcoming or what was that environment like? I actually remember that that shirt specifically. Um, and it had no trim as well, which makes it even worse. Um, but yeah, I feel like um, just even if like a little bit before that, just leaving Berry to go to Liverpool, um, going down to the academy in Kirby was like, for a player like me at Berry, we had to like, wash our own kits we had to like go and set up all the goalposts and stuff like that on, on, a, on a match day um we was literally getting changed in like a cabin which was disgusting and then coming into the academy and seeing they had their own like under 15s they had their own kit man um a couple of coaches um just a, a whole setup it was just like really um really encouraging for somebody like me because i'd never had that before so I thought that was amazing. And that, I, I generally felt at the time I had more of a hunger than the players that had been there probably from a younger age because that's all they've known. Whereas me, I was hungry. So when I came in and, and noticed, I guess some people potentially may have been a little bit complacent, I went, I guess, that extra mile. And yeah, going up through the ranks, I actually remember the first four games of my under-18s. They brought in a couple of players from broader German lad and a lad from London. Um, and up until that point, on the 15s and 16s, I was the star player. And then I had to fight for my position. And that's what I did. And then, yeah, I, I kind of excelled and then probably never looked back. So then when I did get into the first team, it was, well, not get into the first team, but when I was probably training, the initial first few times, I didn't actually train with the first team. Um, I just travelled. I remember travelling to Arsenal. I played a reserve game on the Thursday. And then I got a phone call on Friday from Sammy Lee to say that I'll be travelling with the squad that Friday. Um, was that the League Cup game, was it? That was the League Cup game, yeah. Actually, I may have got my days mixed up. Maybe that was a week, 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 weekday game. But yes, yeah, similar thing. Like I, I hadn't trained with the first team. I just travelled with with the coach, uh, with the players on 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 the, on the coach, and I think that time was the train. Um, and there was a couple of younger players that I'd, I'd known, like Martin Kelly and Jay Spearin. So I kind of just stuck with them. And then the senior players, like you, like you mentioned, uh, um, 
for example, Mascherano and, and Carragher and, and those guys, it was kind of just in awe of them. I'd, I'd say hello, but very quietly and just keep it moving. Um, and then, yeah, it probably wasn't until the summer that Roy Hodgson came. I, I did pre-season with the, with the team and that's when I fully integrated, I guess. But yeah, up until then, it was pretty daunting, as any 17, 18-year-old could imagine walking into a dressing room full of superstars. And just on a day-to-day basis, you know, kind of the back end of Benitez's days, obviously, as you were kind of training here and there, what was the standard? Was it just another level? You know, is that, you know, people do talk about the the, the jump from, you know, 18s to 23s and, and then going again from 23s to seniors. Was that, was was the gap? In quality, or even kind of just how quick everything's done, was it bigger than you expected? Oh yeah, you can see significant dis- uh, difference. Um, it was kind of like the pinball effect, where like one touch, two touch, and like before you leave, I, I used to always remember like the players like Gerard and Alonso. As soon as you would move, especially as a striker, as soon as you would move, they would see it and the ball would pretty much already be there. And then just the pace of the passing um, was like a lot higher, for example. Um, and it kind of always worked in in different parts that they'd be able to build up from the back. And as soon as it got into like the, the latter third, things quickened up. That's when you'd have to be sharp and sharp. Um, so there was a distinctive difference in... Um, in skill set, obviously, um, training tempo, and then um, I just think from overall game management, like from under 18s and under 21s, it's something that inexperience in games, seeing games out, or how to manage games and get back into games, is something that probably only comes with time. Um, and just even in training, you could tell the difference, um, the level of coaching. Like you said about Benitez, he was very smith like specific and I guess methodical with his way of training I'd, I'd say um, and just as a as a youngster just learning from coaches such as that with a wealth of experience was just really good and obviously you touch on Benitez there and that's something I did want to ask you obviously I think you know something that sticks out kind of as my time supporting Liverpool is you know you hear the likes of Gerard who said he, he's probably the best tactical coach he's worked under his attention to detail his kind of obsession with the game you know the small margins but the flip side of that is he said that he was a very like cold personality as in probably the worst man manager he had during his career if you you know if you compare him to someone like you know Brendan Rodgers or or you know other managers Stevie played under so was that something you experienced or like what was he kind of like as a youngster? You know, would he would he pull you aside and make you feel welcome, or was it was that left to like the likes of Carragher and Gerard and or kind of your own way to to kind of make you settle in a team? Um, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, I would say. Um, and again, who am I to critique his my management? Well, if it's coming from the likes of Stephen Gerrard, then I guess I could also be in agreement with him in terms of he was um, pretty. Um, methodical in his, his approach to, to coaching and it, those small margins was um, quite effective. Um, me as a youngster coming up, I would barely say a few words to him. Um, I remember coming on both at Fulham and um, Arsenal and he just said, go and enjoy yourself, which I felt was encouraging um, for me personally. But in, in terms of like being around the place it would be brief conversations um how are you today um uh, go out and, and enjoy yourself so maybe it was a little bit different for me because i was a youngster uh, so i can't imagine them being that much of a 
conversation to be had. Obviously, those players who's a lot more senior. Um, but like you did mention about Brendan Rodgers and Roy, uh, Roy Hudson, I feel like their man management was was amazing for me. Um, they really felt made me feel welcome and um, understood. I kind of felt like they put my, their arm around me a little bit, whereas I feel like with Benitez, it was kind of like you were the big boys now. And it was left to the likes of uh, Stevie and Kyra to like, um, I guess, welcome you. And again, obviously, they're local lads, um, English. I think that helped too, because at the time, there was a lot of like South American or um, Spanish culture at the time. Even in the reserves, there was like Spanish managers. So I think if you was a Spanish player at that time under Benitez, um, you might have been made to feel a little bit more welcome, maybe. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was down to the more senior players, I guess, so, which they would do anyway, because that's that's the type of people that the idea would always make the young players coming through the academy feel welcome, and everybody else, of course. But obviously, they've walked in those footsteps too, so they know what it's like to come and train with the first team, etc. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, Benitez's time at Liverpool kind of came to an end in, in the summer of 2010. And obviously, you touched on then, Roy Hodgson comes through the door. As a young player then, who's been given his kind of pathway into the first team by Benitez, how, how does a managerial change so early in, in kind of your involvement with the first team impact you? Because is it almost like I've got to prove to another manager now that I deserve to stay here? Or is it right, a fresh, a fresh kind of, a fresh slate, you know, I can kick on here even more kind of thing? I think... Um... I think something that all players, not even just youngsters, but all players imagine when they're coming into um, under new management, it's like, okay, well, whatever happened before is, is in the past and you've got a new opportunity. For me, I always looked at it like, okay, any bias towards players that previous managers had brought in and they probably felt like they needed to play to justify the spend or even certain salaries that certain players was earning, for me, it was a great opportunity to say, well, if you remove the, the the star name and you just base us all on our work ethic and how we apply ourselves, um, it's a great opportunity. And Roy Hodgson certainly did that for me. Um, I remember coming back from my loan, I think it was, and then he brought a couple of youngsters up for pre-season, which a lot of managers typically do. Um, and I just grafted really hard and I think we was in Switzerland. Um, and, I, and I did really well. And he just said to me, like, you're going to be staying with us um, for the remainder of, of the season. And I'll, and I'll be training full time at Melwood with, with the actual first team. So for me, it was amazing um, to, to be given that opportunity. And I remember specifically, I think I played like seven, seven times under, under Roy. And um, he was that manager. Like, if, if he was working hard in training and and he was applying himself, he'd give you the opportunity. And on a couple of occasions, he, he played me ahead of some really senior players, some international players. And um, I was always really grateful for that because he'd give you a fair crack at the wheel and then it was down for you to, to go and express yourself. So I was always grateful for him. And I think throughout his managerial career, he's gone on to other clubs and he's done the exact same thing. But yeah, I was grateful that he didn't have a bias towards senior players that probably wasn't really pulling away or or whatever and he was like okay cool I'll, I'll give this player opportunity and that's why I think obviously his time at Liverpool um, 
probably, I don't know, up and down, I'd say. But yeah, for me as a player, I, I appreciated that he picked players on the attitude and how how willing he was to perform. And, and you'd obviously just touched on it there, his, his time at Anfield was, was you know, pretty short-lived and obviously wasn't something, you know, wasn't an era that Liverpool fans would look on back at too fondly. One game that kind of, you know, looking back at it now, obviously is, is the infamous game against Northampton in the League Cup. That's a game that I think many people now kind of think like foreshadowed what was to come under Hodgson. You know, there was some pretty, you know, uh, you know, bad, bad occasions. What was, what are your, firstly, what are your memories of, of the Northampton game? Um, obviously, I, I, you, Missed a penalty in a shootout, didn't you? The penultimate pen. Um, how how was that? First of all, you know, playing at Anfield, um, you know, in front of a, a, a decent crowd, but then obviously like the, the low of of kind of missing that penalty all on the, the same night. Yeah, um, I, I, as as you can imagine, that that's a distinctive memory in in my life. And I remember that I remember that game, and he picked the starting eleven. And the starting eleven had some really senior players, and no offense to Northampton, it's a team that we should have been we should have been beating quite comfortably. And I was kind of again as a youngster, I was hoping that I would come on and we could be a couple of goals up, and then I could go and quote unquote have fun. Um, that wasn't to be the case, and I remember I think it was me and John Joe came on as substitutes in that game, and like we actually did really well, um, and and we went into extra time. Um, and for our extra time as a youngster, um, I was performing really well. I was attacking. Um, I was confident. I felt great. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to the penalty, I was one of the players to step up. Um, again, it was more senior players than me at the time. But I was always the penalty taker for the reserves at the time. I was always confident in taking penalties. And I did my usual stutter. And, yeah, it hit the crossbar at the cop. And um, there was like a picture that I remember, the rain was lashing down and I've just put my hands like over my face kind of thing. And I just remember like um, like the cop, like, like singing my name, so to speak, just as like as an encouragement. And um, I've always said, and I said this at 15, going to my very first Liverpool game, again, being a Manchester born, um, person that Liverpool fans have the best fans in the world and I just thought at that moment like the reality kicked in that I'd, I'd just missed a penalty then I think somebody else missed a penalty after me and then yeah we was out and I just remember afterwards like just being heartbroken in the tunnel and um, Sammy Lee just come up to me and just said get your effing head up do you know what I mean you had the guts to take a penalty and you did really well and I, and I think Stevie come in and said the same thing, saying, listen, we've all, we've all been there and even the best of players miss penalties um, and you'll bounce back. And I just remember going home. I lived in Sefton Park at the time. I drove home by myself and obviously I was, I was distraught. I was upset. And um, I went into training the next day and for me, the like senior players and staff made me feel so assured that, listen, you, you didn't, do anything wrong type of thing just kind of like it shouldn't have been left in your hands anyway and um, it showed what type of character it was to step up so for me I kind of got confidence from that um, and again yeah I'm not sure if Napoli was before or after that game um, but I think 
games after that, I was again, yeah, I was I was confident because the guys was like, listen, everybody does it. So for me, it was like, okay, it was a learning curve. I was young, um, and I just took it as a learning curve, and and it didn't really deter me from wanting to take chances again. But yeah, as a football club. It was horrific to be knocked out of a cup by by Northampton. Uh, no, like a, a, a club of the stature of Liverpool shouldn't be getting beat by Northampton at home. Um, but the whole experience of playing at Anfield in front of the cup, again, I'm 31 now. It's an experience I'll never forget, good or bad. I take the positives and the, and the negatives from that game. So do you think you're that almost, you know... That- it sounds strange, but you thought it almost benefited you because you thought from then on you probably had nothing to lose in the sense of like it, it can't not it can't get worse than this, but you know quote unquote kind of thing of like well I've, you know it can only get better. It's the only way up kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said at the time, I thought my my world was over um, because again, no matter no matter of your age, you got to take accountability. Um, I was a professional footballer, albeit being a youngster in the team. And that loss was difficult to take. Um, but for me, the type of person I was, it just drove me to want to do better and, and probably, I guess, not prove anybody right or wrong, just try and do better in the next game. And again, I'm a, I was a centre forward, so it's my it was my responsibility to take chances and do things that others are probably not prepared to do. Um, and again, the, the support from the football club was... It was amazing from the academy staff straight through to the first team staff and the players. So for me, it was just like, yeah, it can only go up from here. Um, and again, I feel like regarding the senior players and the staff, it kind of made them look at me in a different way in terms of like, you know, this youngster's like got a bit about him. He stepped up and he wanted to take the penalty. Um, because I feel like the other players that played in that team, not to mention any names, when they didn't step up, that actually went against them. Um, and in those moments, that created finer moments for everybody, but you can't ever take that back from somebody. Like if, if a player or a coach sees that somebody kind of bottles it, you can't actually go back. So um, for me, it was actually a positive. And obviously you, you talked about some of the you know more senior players in the, in the squad that night. Um, not not stepping up to take a penalty. How did was was that just ad hoc on the night that you would take one? Like, is obviously I imagine you practice penalties in the, in the kind of days leading up to it. Um, was it just a case of people saying actually I don't fancy it, and you going, you know what, I'm here now, I'll I'll do it kind of thing, or was it a prearranged order? No, it was. I think people. Um, I'm not even sure if we did practice penalties prior to it. I don't think anybody ever imagined it going to penalties. To be honest with you. Um, and if we did, people practice the day before. But when it comes down to on a night and the and the lights are out, it's one of those ones. Like he's really up for it, and I put my name forward straight away. I said I want to take one, um, and 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 the manager gave me the nod to say, yeah, you can take one. And then yeah, other players didn't. And again, for me as a youngster, it was quite surprising because I don't know. I guess when you're young, you you don't really have a fear element. It's just like. For me, I looked at it as like I have an opportunity to take a penalty kick at Anfield in front of the cop end, and that's exactly how I looked at it. And I think, given an opportunity, the million kids around the world, given the opportunity, whether you score or you miss, 
ideally I wanted to go in. Um, they would have they would have stepped up, and um, I kind of always remembered like my roots of like you have an opportunity to one first and foremost put on the red of Liverpool, and in that particular instance, take a penalty in a in a in a famous cup competition. So for me, yeah, but the other guys, yeah, it's something that it's easy to do in it to just to not really step up, and then you can kind of pass the responsibility again. People will look back and probably not remember the names of the people that didn't take the penalties, but the ones that took the penalties and the ones that missed. So, I guess that's life. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So, going into kind of early 2011, um, you've played a a few Europa League games, um, you know, you're getting minutes for Liverpool, you're playing at Anfield. And then obviously there's a, there's another managerial change. Obviously Roy goes and, and Kenny comes in. Obviously you, you you're quite complimentary in how you speak of Roy and kind of what he did for you and kind of his what what the impact he had on your career. Is is that something that you, that you think was shared with with a lot of the younger players at the time? Obviously because we only see from the outside, you know, kind of the results on you know what was a you know like a like I say not a very memorable kind of time to kind of to be associated as like a Liverpool fan. Um, but obviously, kind of internally, as someone who was trying to, you know, earn stripes at the club, obviously, was Roy kind of pretty instrumental in that? 100%. Yeah, I think if you look at a lot of a lot of teams throughout um, football and history, once when a club is going through like a bit of a transition, which Liverpool was at that time, and it was kind of like getting rid of the old and bringing in the new, um, there's always an opportunity for youngsters to come through. And I think at the time, like, I, I was playing quite frequently. John George just signed from Charlton. He was playing frequently. Um, I think Jordan had just signed as well. Um, Jay Spearian was playing. Martin Kelly broke through. Um, so we was given an opportunity, as I said, because sometimes in, in a lot of bigger clubs it's difficult for youngsters to break through not because they're not talented it's just because of the back then the wealth of experience that was ahead and and again as a, as a corporation if how do you justify spending 50 million on a player and you're not playing that player and you're playing a, an academy graduate it just again I guess from a manager's point of view um you have to justify that spend so I think for the likes of us it was it was a great opportunity um, which I think we, we kind of took. Um, so for me, and, and and being under Roy was was a great opportunity. And I don't know when um, Kenny came in, he, he did the same thing. I think I, I initially went out on loan initially and then came back. And then um, I remember like my first couple of training sessions with the first team. And Kenny just, I remember him clear as day, stop him in a, in, a, in a hallway just saying to me like why is it not really worked out for me when I've gone out alone and he said because you're here and you're training with superstars and like you get it like and I just said to him when I was um when I was out alone it's, it's different you know like I said to you earlier about you run and the ball's there or you, you flick it around the corner and the other person would read it I guess that's the difference like the IQ of footballers playing at the elite level and again that's no disrespect to anybody playing at a lower level and um obviously I take accountability too. I said to him like I guess it wasn't the right matchup going to the teams that went out alone. Um but Kenny did the same thing with, with a couple of the youngsters. I remember Jack Robinson I think he was called Jack 
rubber. Yeah. Left back, uh, Flanagan came in, right back. Um, Raheem played a lot under Kenny, I think. Um, there's maybe one or two others that also was given opportunity. Um, I think Adam Morgan came through at a similar time to you as well, didn't he? Yeah, Morgan was there. So yeah, there was like there was like a few of us um, that was given opportunities quite frequently, um, and again, that's what I would always appreciate about being at the club at that time. Um, again, as a as a supporter of the club, it wasn't the most successful time, of course, certainly not like it is today. Um, but for youngsters coming through and actually being given opportunities, and again, a lot of us didn't go on to have careers and stay at Liverpool, but a lot of us went on to have careers elsewhere in, in the game. And I think that's the whole part of having an academy and having those facilities. Granted, you would ideally want the ones to come through, the likes of Raheem, the likes of Trent. Um, but for a lot of others, um, it's just having a career in the game. And I think that's what Liverpool has helped a lot of us do. And you touched on what Kenny said there, that you were obviously training with superstars. Like, you know, I can reel off plenty of names that, you know, you had the, the pleasure of, of, of training with and, and playing with. But obviously as a striker, you know, you, you, you probably rub shoulders with, you know, two of the best to pull on the, the red of Liverpool in, in Fernando Torres and, and Luis Suarez. How how did those two compare, you know, in, who were you looking at and thinking, God, he's good kind of thing. I, I wish I could play with him or kind of get to his level and, and what again? What was that like as a as a you know nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old lad? You know, playing with players of that caliber. Honestly, it was just like playing FIFA, real life FIFA. Like <laughs> again, I think when you're a youngster, the reality doesn't kick in. And I think unless you're a really senior senior player, I think um, that reality initially of like, oh, I'm actually a footballer and I'm actually training and playing with these players. I used to always go back home and think, like even just saying hello to certain players in, in the changing room or it was just crazy. And um, distinctively, those two players that you mentioned, like Fernando first, I remember he come to Liverpool and uh, lit the club alight. He was he was amazing. Um, his change of pace um, was out of this world. Like he only needed a yard to get past somebody. And as everybody's seen, his, his finishing at Liverpool was so clinical. Um, I'd never seen anything like it. And he kind of taught me about movement um, in terms of being in the right position and that you basically only need half a yard because um, his change of pace was, like, phenomenal. Um, so far, that was, like, really good. And then, yeah, when I played with Suarez, he was he was different in the sense of, like, when you seen him, you just felt, wow. Because he was, like, Liverpool at the time had some superstars, but he was, like, Gerard level of wow like you're a million miles above everybody else do you know what I'm saying like him and Stevie players like that was just like jeez and I remember I never forget this we was playing like at 11 aside and the ball got played down like the, the byline and I think at the time Rayner was the goalkeeper and he was literally on the touchline at the edge of the box and it was almost an impossible angle and he's kind of flicked it with the outside of his boot. It shouldn't have gone in, basically. And it's gone in, and I'm not joking, the whole, that training ground was just stopped and just started clapping. And I was just thinking, wow, how did that even go in? It was kind of like on FIFA, you know, when it's like a technical error and the yeah. ball somehow goes in or 
it was just weird. It was just like a weird moment in the in the training session. But he was just, I, and the craziest thing, he was like so obviously passionate and like driven. But it just always looked like he was it was so easy for him. Like he was just having fun. Like you go to the park and have fun with your friends and like it just everything just seemed so easy to him. I feel like he was like a really natural footballer, um, and I, I feel like that also comes from like being South American and playing street football over there, they play with a certain level of freedom, I guess. Um, so, yeah, there was both exceptional talents and world-class strikers, evidently. Um, but as a youngster playing with the likes of those, I'm thinking, geez, I'm way off it here. But it's, um, if I could pick up little things from them, um, I would. Like, it, like Suarez's aggression, he was a striker, but he's very aggressive in it. Torres as well, in his own way, he was um, aggressive, never liked to get beat. Um, and that type of winning mentality was also great, as, aside from their skill set. Um, um, kind of what were they like as as, as people? I, I remember last year I listened to a podcast with, with Jordan Henderson and he and he said that, you know, he, he kind of exploded. At, I think this was a couple of years later. He kind of exploded at Suarez because, you know, Henderson wasn't enjoying it, it, having the best of time. And given the ball away, you know, one too many times by Suarez's standards in, in training. And, and Suarez kind of, you know, told him, like, you know, told him, you know, what he thought of it. And I think Henderson had a bite back at him. So, like, as a young player, you know, maybe prone to making mistakes or, you know, maybe your confidence isn't there. Or obviously, you know, sometimes you're not up to that, that, that kind of that skill level. Um, what was he What was he like? Was he, you know, did you ever feel that kind of pressure from him? Or was he very, like, welcoming or... Um... Yeah, I think the difference between both of those players, not to keep on comparing, but I think with Fernando, he was very encouraging. He was like, I think he assessed that, okay, you're you're a young player um, and you're trying <laughs> type of thing. So the mistakes you could potentially get away with. And I think, I think with Suarez, for me personally, I'm not sure if it was because he was young or not. I think he just demanded such high levels of, of quality from everybody, himself first and foremost. And there was no real exceptions from anybody else, regardless of age. It was kind of like that old school mentality of like, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and I think I think that's the impression I got from him. He was never one to like critique me specifically just because I was younger. I think he owed everybody in the same high regard. Um, and I remember, I think he, me listening to, um, I'm not sure if it was Kyrie or Gerard saying that one of the very first training sessions, he's gone right through somebody. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, he's not cared who he was. He was just like, I'm here now. And I think that was his mentality. So um, I never took that that personal if he was to ever critique me. Um, there was senior players that would kind of dig out youngsters in particular. And for me, even back then, being a youngster, I just thought he was a bit of a coward because I was like, you wouldn't speak to a senior player like that. And I guess my confidence at the time, I was just like, I don't care. Um, from players like that, because I knew they don't hold themselves accountable anyway. Um, and they're kind of deflecting onto youngsters. Um, senior players never did that. They owed everybody in the same regard and they certainly wouldn't pick out youngsters it wasn't in their character so for players that did do that i never really fully respected anyway and i don't think if suarez ever did do that to me it wasn't a case of oh well it's because you're young i think it's just because he was just a winner obviously rogers comes in and he's you know kind of an unproven british manager but obviously people have seen what he's done at swansea you know there's 
he's, he's relatively young to take a, a top job. Um, and obviously, uh, the club go on a, a preseason tour to Boston, I think it was. And um, the Being Liverpool documentary is is filmed, uh, you know, starting from that preseason, obviously, over the course of that kind of first couple of months. As a player, and again, as a, as a young player, it might be hard to kind of sanction a view on it because you, you might not have known much different. But what what is... I mean, now, obviously, these documentaries, these fly-on-the-wall documentaries are obviously quite common and they're, they're quite popular. But, you know, Liverpool did that 10 years ago and at the time it was very, you know, putting the neck on the line. What what were your thoughts on that and all of the other players' thoughts? You know, was the discussions in the dressing room about it? Um, yeah, I remember like LFC TV when they first started and they started documenting our under-18s games. I think the only... I think it was only a couple of clubs that was doing it that was big enough. Uh, Liverpool and Man United, they was the only ones. And then, yeah, when we went on that pre-season tour um, and it was being it was being documented. Um, again, I think as a, as a youngster, you kind of just go with what is happening. We don't really have a say-so. I think for the senior players, like the ones that potentially might have been moving on, the ones that... Um, You've probably not had a, a great season the year before. Um, giving that kind of insight is great for fans, but there's obviously internal issues that happen. And I remember quite specifically on that trip, the incident with Raheem, um, when we was all like in training and and Brendan says what he says to him. And again, normally that type of thing wouldn't be documented um, and wouldn't necessarily come out. It'd just be an internal conversation that would have stayed pretty much between the players. Um, so for me, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience to firstly be a part of it. And, and secondly, I think it, it gave like a great insight to like <clears throat> what actually does happen on a day-to-day from a training standpoint. Um, you get to really look at the managing side of things. You get to see at the players. And for me, again, I'm not sure if this was because I was young, but I just always felt it was an opportunity to to express myself because I feel like when, when the cameras was there, um, there's no hiding place. And I, I feel like fans have such a big influence and in decisions when it comes to player selection. And I always felt like there was, there was, there was talented players that didn't get quite the opportunity because they was young and it was easy to just fob them off. Whereas I feel like when you had those kind of insights and like people could see like, well, this player is training well. He's he's making an effort, you know. And, and fans want to see players that are 100% committed. And um, ideally, yeah, if the most talented players are not fully committed, they'd much rather have somebody in there that's going to work hard or at least not quote unquote die for the cause, but you know, graft. Um, so for me, it was always a great opportunity to to play and perform. And whenever the cameras came out, I used to love it. So. For me, it was a great experience for the other senior players. Um, I think it was mixed reviews. Um, like I said, it was like in-depth and conversations that possibly would take place in private was was there for everybody to see. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on the, the point of Raheem because that was that was next on on my list. Is I think Raheem is probably two years maybe younger than you, or there's a couple of, certainly a couple of years in it. So he he would have probably been seventeen or eighteen if that on the on that tour of, of Boston at the time. Do you think like the way 
you know, like you say, it probably happens all the time, a hundred times a week on, on on training grounds up and down the country, those little incidents. But do you think that what I'm trying to say, you know, obviously kind of still, I feel like that's kind of stuck with Sterling throughout his career, that kind of, you know, obviously people can say what they want about his attitude and, and whatever. And, and certainly towards the kind of latter stages of his time at Liverpool, his, his attitude and, and, and maybe... His, the way he went about things was questioned. Do you think that that was almost sparked from just that one throwaway comment because it was, you know, nationalised on TV? Mm. Yeah, um, me personally, like at the time, um, knowing Raheem and knowing his character and and knowing um, how passionate he is and hardworking is about football, I think that <clears throat> that stigma has stayed with him throughout his career and he even to this day he doesn't get the credit that he deserves in terms of the numbers that he's put on the board for all of his accomplishments and yeah at the time it was just a throwaway comment but it was the comment that was made to a youngster that at the football club was deemed in such high regard and, and people were so hopeful of and again Brendan working with young players young talented players from, from throughout his career at Chelsea and Swansea um even from a managerial perspective, um, I'm not sure if it was a spontaneous that was done or it was more strategic, but managers and coaches over the years have been known to say certain things to um, get a reaction out of players and how they reacted, whether it's good or it's bad. Um, but they like to sometimes do those things to see how players will react. Um, and I've worked, I worked with Brendan throughout that, that pre-season and, Honestly, I felt like his my management was really good, um, and I and he was completely transparent, which you don't always get, which I really appreciated him for, and um, how he was with the young the youngsters and the and the senior players. I thought he was a, re a really good my manager, and obviously what he went on to do at Liverpool was was great. It was so close to winning a title, um, but yeah, I think that incident with Raheem, it did it sent shockwaves across the country, and it was kind of like the first viral moment. Um, that had came out like that um, and yeah it was majorly impactful and at the time I felt it was unjust I didn't think it was necessary um, because like I said I knew Raheem on a personal level and there was people in and, in and around the football club that would probably perceive him the wrong way but I think that's just a lack of understanding like culturally things are different and not every human is going to act the same way. And I think in football, they try and throw like a, a blanket over everybody and everybody needs to conduct themselves in the same way. And unfortunately, that's not real life. People are different. We, have, we all have our own individual preferences and personalities. And yeah, I think he's, he's maybe misunderstood, I guess, because, yeah, and as far as football is concerned, in terms of English players, he's probably been the most consistent player over the last decade. Um, so I think that says you all you need to know about Raheem Sterling. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, you touched on um, uh, Rogers' man management there. Obviously, another incident, I'll say incident, another a thing that kind of you, you say was a viral moment of that kind of tour um, was the famous the infamous uh, envelope trick that Rogers did during a team meeting where he was you know three players or how many players was I gonna I've written three names who are gonna let me down over the course of the season 
obviously, you know, Rogers is my manager. And obviously, you said, you know, he's, he's first class. But do you think there was the, the, the decisions or things that he did that kind of showed that the job maybe came too early for him in the sense of, you know, like he kind of brought, not criticism on himself, but, you know, the envelope trip, trick, like how did that go down with the players and, and how how did you, how do you view that and how do you look back at it now as a someone who's kind of enjoyed a career in the game? Do you see what you're trying to do there or is it still something that just kind of bamboozles you? Um, I think the more senior players had more to say on that than the youngsters. Again, as the youngsters, we kind of just went along with, with whatever happened. Happened Again, being taught at academy level on the 16s and the 18s and even on the 23s, it's different. There's, there's, there's less on the line for coaches and managers at that level, I guess. And senior players, you're dealing with international players and you're, and you're, and you're not just from a player's perspective, you're, you're dealing with people in general that are significantly wealthy. <laughs> um, that also has to come into consideration too because once you start to amass a certain amount of wealth, most people change whether it's your professional or not. It's just natural. So I think that trick for the more senior players um, was questioned a lot more than the youngsters. Um, I, I, growing up now, I'm 31. I, I see what he was trying to do. And I'm not sure if that's the type of thing you do at that level and that type of club with those type of players. I don't know. I've never been in Brendan's position. I've never managed a club like Liverpool, so I don't know. Um, but I always feel like the intent behind things, if the intent is good, that's what I would judge on. If the intent is bad, if it was to do it to call people out or be malicious, that I shouldn't. As a, as a human being, I wouldn't really condone or um, I think was cool. So, yeah, I feel like the intent behind it wasn't malicious. I feel like he was just, it was kind of like subconsciously, he was trying to say to people, you don't want to be one of the players that's in this envelope. Um, and like, I guess, internally trying to encourage people, motivate people to do better, basically. That's how it come across to me. It's more of a psychological um thing than than personal and i'm not even sure if those names ever actually got revealed um hopefully i wasn't in, in that envelope. <laughs> I've, I've heard a few people say that there was probably no names in the envelope they were probably as you say it was probably a psychological trick um you know three blank envelopes you know don't be in this don't be in these envelopes but um yeah it was certainly a questionable a questionable uh, motivational method but um yeah so just to kind of take on a bit a bit further obviously you kind of depart the club at the end of um, that transfer window in, in 2012. How does that come about then? Is that something you decide you need to kind of take the, the next steps? Is 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 that, does the, does a gaffer tell you that, you know, you, you, you're going to struggle maybe to get the minutes that you, you kind of deserve? Um, is it just kind of one of those moves that an offer comes in and it just suits all parties? Yeah, it was, um, and again, you talk about life-changing moments. Um, that was certainly one of them. I remember coming into training that morning um, and then throughout the day, obviously it was transfer day, I'd spoke to my agent, but I'd also spoke to Brendan as well. They just signed Fabio Barini. He was the same age. Um, we actually played against each other when he was at Chelsea, but then he went to Swansea. I had a really good move at Swansea and then Roma, I think. Anyway, they brought in Fabio Barini with similar age and Brendan just said to me, listen, like, um, I can't guarantee you games. You'll be training with the first team, but majority of the games are probably going to be coming uh, with the reserves. I think at the time I was 20 or 21, I had a year left. And he just said, it, 
the decision is entirely up to you. Um, and he just he, he, he referenced Scott Sinclair that had been alone a couple of times at Chelsea, and then I think he finally made his his move departure to Swansea and had a really good season. Then he got moved to Manchester City, and he just said like, I think you're at that same stage where you've had a couple of long moves, you've been at a big club, and if you got it right, you could be back at a big club the following season as a, as a, a more permanent fixture in, in the starting eleven. Um, which I understood, and again, I I always appreciate his transparency. So then, at the time, I think I could have went alone to Sheffield United, that was in League One for six months, or I could have went to Blackpool, and then um, Liverpool was willing to not ask for a fee. Um, Blackpool at the time couldn't afford my wages, and then Liverpool was able to compensate. So it just seemed like a great opportunity. They'd reached the the player final the year before, and I knew that a couple of youngsters had gone there and done well. Um, so I felt like it was a great opportunity. So I opted to go to Blackpool, um, literally on deadline day. And I remember Danny Pacheco was also trying to get a move as a well. Um, and what quite contrasting, four weeks later, Blackpool was top of the league. I couldn't get in the team. And then four weeks later, Danny Pacheco's move didn't go through um, on deadline. And then Liverpool... I think they had three strikers that was injured. Suarez was injured, I think, at the time. Andy Carroll was injured. And then Pacheco was playing. I think Adam Morgan was playing. And um, at the time, as a striker, I was ahead of both of those guys. And it was one of those, like, geez, I've come to Blackpool hoping to play for 10 weeks unbeaten. Um, at Liverpool, the surplus were quite, uh, strikers, I probably wouldn't have been given an opportunity um, but everything happens for a reason. And um, yeah, I went and was at Blackpool for two years. You know, kind of just throughout, you sound, you're very philosophical in the way you talk and, you know, your kind of outlook on life in, in terms of like no regrets and, and that kind of thing. And, you, you know, you've got a, a very entrepreneurial mindset, obviously, which something we'll come into to later. But so how do you look back at that, your time at Liverpool then? Is it is it is it all positives kind of thing? Like, you know, you say it, it was almost a sliding doors moment. You, you could have been given that chance if you had stayed, but, you know, as, as kind of your, your your six years at Liverpool, is it is it something you look back on, you know, fondly and, and proudly? and Or is it a, a case of, you know, what could have been kind of thing? Um, I, yeah, I think my outlook on life is, 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 as you say, is positives. And I think anything in life, everything happens for a reason. I look back at those times and think, could I have done anything more? Um, and in life, you can always do more. It's as simple as that. Um, and one thing that I do look back and I think, geez, I wasn't really as present. I was, I've was. i always been one of those type of people that just take things in my stride. Um, but I guess I've always been the kid from from a council estate of just like, geez, I'm, I'm playing for Liverpool. And I, I wish I didn't have that mentality of like, oh, I'm here. And I was just happy to just be here. I wish I would have had more of a forceful mentality of like I'm here and I'm here to stay and I, I'm not just I, I'm not just happy to get my 20 minutes game time. I wish I had I had more of that. I feel like that I guess the fan of me was still in, um, and then I look at my efforts in like at academy level. I was always like top goal scorer, and then I feel like when I got to the first team. Um, I feel like I always trained well and when I come on, I always give my best. So I look back and think, well, is there much more that I could have done? Possibly not. Not at that time. I felt that's all 
I could do. Again, growing up and being more of a, a senior player when I got older, um, I guess your experience of like, geez, you could have maybe done this a little bit better. Um, I wish I would have asked more questions as well. Like, I wish I wouldn't have been as as scared to ask senior players, like, what, what more do I need to be doing? You know, like, I wish I would have asked those questions, but I guess, again, you're a little bit, not intimidated, but you don't really want to step out of line. It's probably the wrong mentality to have. Um, but I definitely look back at those memories at Liverpool and, and they were certainly the best of my career and my life because they shaped me to the man I am today. Um, it's an amazing football club, everybody that was involved throughout my time from the first day, from the academy staff, Dave Shannon, Steve Iway, all of the, the players that I played with, um, some amazing memories. So yeah, I look back at those times and think, I'm so blessed and grateful. Like I said, you say you speak to any kid in the world and say one day you're gonna have an opportunity to play for Liverpool for two minutes, let alone the, the amount of times that I, minutes I managed to get on the pitch. Um, for some, it could be what could have been. For me, I was like, I beat the odds, <laughs> and I guess that's that type of positivity allows me to not live in regret. Um, because that's ultimately a lot of people's downfall is to live in regret of what could have been. And obviously, you've you've kind of taken that um, mentality, obviously, in, into business now. Um, obviously, you um, obviously run a sports a sportswear company. Um, how how did that come about? Then um, was was that something that was that kind of like entrepreneurial side something you always wanted to look at during football? Was it something you thought um, you know I'll, I'll kind of do after I've started playing, but. Obviously, you're 31 now. You don't you don't still play, do you? So, like, how how did you make that trans transition kind of thing and think, you know what, I'm gonna go full time into this? Um, I remember when I was when I was younger, I, I used to always like be curious. Like, I'm very. I say I should have asked more questions, but I've always been intrigued by how people do certain things. So I remember when we went on that tour actually to um to United States, and we was we, we was at. Uh, Boston Red Stocks, I think they're called. Um, and I seen all of like the, you know, like all the, um, the sponsors and stuff and how it was definitely a lot more pushed in your face in terms of like the marketing aspect, Gatorade and all of these companies. And I was just always curious to like sponsors and like, I, I, again, I guess from the financial point of view, I used to always think, well, how can I afford to pay this player I don't know, six figures every week, you know? And then I start to look at football as a business and say, yeah, it's a corporation. Like it's listed as a corporate company. These profits and losses, like any company, this is, is staff turnaround, etc. And then, yeah, during that time where I left Liverpool to go to Blackpool, I actually negotiated that contract myself. Um, and then I think from that moment, I started to look at the business side of football and thinking like, okay, if you're in a position to pay me, how much money are you making? Um, and then I think whilst I was at Blackpool, one of my friends, um, his, his friend that he grew up with was the one of the founders of Gymshark. And at the time, me and my friend, um, was we had like a relatively good cars for like young lads. And then those guys had like supercars and their neighbors telling us that they only pay 20% in VAT. 
Um, they put all of their expenses through their business. And that type of conversation I wasn't having with footballers. You know, we, we go to training, we play, and then we come home and most people play computer games or Call of Duty. I'm more of a visual learner, so I would always watch documentaries. Um, so then it just piqued my curiosity. And then I traveled to LA that summer on holiday. And um, was that the summer of 2013? Was that pardon? Was that the summer of 2013? Yeah. Um, so a year after you'd left Liverpool, was it? A year after I'd left Liverpool, yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, yeah, well, actually, it would have been would have been three years after I'd left Liverpool, but my curiosity peaked just as I moved to Blackpool. So then let's say give it two years or so. Um, I'd done I'd been doing research on like companies and like like e-commerce was relatively new and like um fashion brands at the time. So yeah, I went to LA on holiday and then everybody was wearing like um casual clothing in the daytime, women especially, like leggings and sports bra and caps. There wasn't like the culture in the UK at the time was like girls were still wearing jeans casually. Um but in LA, everybody was like more casual and wearing leggings. So I was like, oh, there's kind of like a there's kind of like a gap. There's only like real big players at the time, like Sweaty Betty and Lululemon in the UK and the odd Primark or H and M stores. There wasn't like independent pop ups other than Gymshark. So yeah, I just I did my own little bit of research and thought this would be a good opportunity to go into. Um, because I always knew at that level, because there was such a decrease in, in wages from Liverpool to Blackpool. I was like, okay, if I ever want to earn this amount of money again, the probability of making it in football would be more and more difficult. Um, and I, I, again, at the time, loads of things was like, there were certain synergies. Like I read a, a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm not sure if you've read it, but pretty famous book. And it just it speaks about like, finances and like financial quadrants and stuff like this and it just gave me a completely different mentality and outlook on life so then yeah i started i started the company off the basis of that and looking at the longevity of a footballer's career um and i'm probably over talking from the initial question but it then stems onto like the career length of most footballers um and if you're lucky, you probably get to my age now, 31, and you're probably going to be coming to the end of your career. And for the majority of footballers that don't go on to make it at a Premier League level and earn vast amounts of money, I think I, I released a book recently um, talking on these, these these topics that almost three in five Premier League footballers ultimately go bankrupt when they retire from football after three years. And it's due to finances. So then, yeah, all of this compiled together. I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to look at life outside of football. Not to say that I was ever given up, but I kind of needed to have a contingency. And I'm, I'm glad you obviously you, you touched on the, the, the e-book you, you've written because I kind of gave that a glance over yesterday. And I've seen you promoted it on your on your, your social media platforms and and kind of I think um, I think it was you were the start of preseason coming up. You were basically saying like if you know if you've you've not got a contract or the uncertainty that surrounds the game is that something that not put you off it, but that made it a more strategic and and more worthwhile move to to kind of stop playing a couple of years ago and 
think, right, I'm going to, you know, put all my eggs into this basket kind of thing because, you know, there's a, like you said, there's a gap in the market and you'd be able to grow what you've obviously grown your business into to what it is today. Um, yeah, I feel like, again, I feel like there's a, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, there's a misconception with all footballers that are millionaires and they live this amazing lifestyle. And for a lot of footballers, um, they're not, it's the quite opposite. Um, the money's is good for a, a small period of time, but over a period of a lifetime, which is hopefully if you live into your seventies, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not a lot. And then for the majority, you're going to be coming to your end of your career with no real qualification, no real other life skills other than being in that footballing world. And that's, that type of logical thinking was always in my head. I remember being in high school and when teachers used to say certain things to me, I'm, I'm like, well, you're speaking from your own bias and perspective. That doesn't apply to everybody and each individual is different. And for me, yeah, when it got to 25 um, and it was a couple of like League One teams that was interested in me, I had a conversation with myself and I just said, is this, is this where I imagined I wanted to be? When I was a kid, when I used to grow up and I used to look at all of the greats, Michael Owen, Beckham's, Ronaldo, they was, that was the era of players that I used to admire. Um, did I ever aspire to play at League One? And again, this is no disrespect to anybody playing at that level because to be a professional footballer is one of the most difficult jobs in the world, regardless of the level. But the answer was no. And um, from that moment, I said, okay, well, if I don't want to do this and it's not making me happy, then I'm not going to continue because I feel like the vanity metric of, oh, what's happening with you? Hey, do you still play or where are you at now? Or I feel like a lot of people stay in the game because it's all they've ever known. And for me, the fear of unknown is a challenge. So I'm going to challenge myself. Um, again, and that, that was just my mentality. Um, so, yeah, it was something I looked at and thought, well, I need to do something. Um, I didn't earn enough to not ever do anything, but I earned enough to give me a comfortable blanket to give me a better opportunity than most that want to start a company or take some time away from football and and start something new. I, I, again, I never had my... Like I, I had two investment properties, which was paid off, so I had no real responsibility, didn't have a family, didn't have no children... So I was like, yeah, this is the best time because when I'm 31, it's highly probable that I might have a missus and a, a mortgage and children. And then that's when it's more difficult for people to make decisions. So I feel like it was a very logical decision that I made. And, and when did you set the company up then? What, what, what year was that? Uh, I registered the company in 2016. Um, and then I don't think we started trading until 2017. And and now at the, at the minute, do you so where are you based? Are you in are you UK? Are you in Dubai? Um, I'm actually living in Chelsea. I moved back to uh, the UK in June of last year. But yeah, two years for two years prior, I was living in Dubai. But the company is is registered in the UK, and my warehouse is in Bolton. So all of my distribution is from Bolton, um, and then my employees is 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 all remote working. And and just to kind of to wrap up with then, um, I just kind of take it back to 
said a start then and and you know obviously when you you first walk through the doors of of Melwoods or, or Kirby when you were, were, were a 15 16 year old what would be your message to to yourself now 16 years later if you could you know speak to, to 15 16 year old Nathan and tell him about the journey he was about to to embark on Jeez, what a question that is um geez what would I tell myself I would probably say to myself to be more present because like moments are fleeting, right? And you can never get them back after they've gone again, not to be f- philosophical, but it's a reality. Um, so just to be more present and um, be more ruthless. I would definitely say be more ruthless, be more selfish. Um, they're, they'd probably be the two most things I would say be present and be more ruthless those are the two things that I would say um, well uh, well, yeah. thank you very much for that Nathan I've taken far more of your, your time than, than I want to do so I apologise about that but I really enjoyed that chat it was, uh, it was really really great so thank you very much no I appreciate it and thanks for reaching out and uh, thinking of me <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been at the club but it's, it's nice to um, still be thought of occasionally so yeah I appreciate uh, the conversation and then wish you well as well in your in your journey and, and what you're doing so i think it's amazing you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo